0: Welcome to the 456th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness and Running Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you for listening. So today I'm back on the nutrition bandwagon. So if you aren't a runner and you suffered through last week, thank you. Uh, if you are a runner, I hope you learned something. I uh, I did. But, um, yeah, we're going to focus more on nutrition today. But first, an update. Um, Closing in on the long-haul 100-mile race. So that's uh, middle of January, January 13th, 14th. So building up the mileage, I've actually hit the most mileage that I've ever run uh, in consecutive weeks. So I'm up in the 60s. Uh, still feeling pretty good. I'm not running hard. I'm just running easy for most of those. I'm happy to report that Trio, the one and a half year old large German Shepherd, is now running with me uh, most of the time. He's doing. He actually likes running better than walking. I think so. Um, I do about um, at some place either three point three to three and a half with Trio, sometimes three point seven, and then three and a half with Sophie. So I'm doing about seven miles a day with two German Shepherds for the most part during the week. Last weekend, Michael and I went up to Colt Creek State Park and actually ran one loop of the course. We've had crazy weather here in Florida. Um, This morning it was 48. Last week we had some cold mornings in the low 50s, but for the Saturday run at Colt Creek, it was 85 degrees and humid, so it was... It was a tough run uh, after having a few low humidity days, um, but you know, you gotta get ready for everything. Humidity training is altitude training for perhaps for the, the future, so we did it um, and uh, had a good time. So I'm just, just gonna build up the mileage best I can, hone in the nutrition the best I can and we'll see what happens. One of the first studies that I'm going to look about uh, or look into today is that of a vegan diet versus an omnivore diet in a twin study. And it's actually made CNN and a couple different uh, medias. So it's pretty cool that a vegan diet actually got a little bit of positive press for a change. But this was a study done at Stanford that they took 22 pairs of adult identical twins and randomized them either to eating a vegan diet or an omnivore diet. An omnivore diet means eating some meat. Both were healthy diets in that there were fruit and vegetables and whole grains, but the omnivores also had meat and dairy uh, and fish added to theirs. The meals were given to them, uh, so they did not have to prepare their own. So, you know, this is, people talk about, you know, you can't ever do anything with nutrition because recall is so bad and it is but this case that meals were actually given to the people so there was not much room for error and um, lo and behold um, the vegan diet came out on top who's surprised by that Um, lowered cholesterol four pound drop in body weight greater than the weight loss in uh, the omnivore group 20 percent reduction in insulin levels And this was only after two months. And the other important thing to note about this study is they were identical twins. So, you know, when people say genetics or lifestyle, they had similar lifestyles, they had similar genetics, very similar genetics. Uh, Again, they were followed for two months. And um, a couple things that you can take away is, one, if you take the junk food out of anybody's diet. uh, Things do improve. The omnivores had some improvement, but just not to the extent that the vegan diet did. Um, Even with the improvement of health in the omnivore diet, the vegans still um, beat out. So when we say just a little bit of meat, um, you know, does it make a difference or not? Obviously, uh, it, it can make a difference. So going without meat and dairy throws the Um, weight of the curve towards the plant-based group the other thing that i take away is if people aren't getting results that they should have they're not really doing the plant-based diet Um, these were identical twins they were overweight um not morbidly overweight so nobody had they you know they weren't eating disorders but um you know they were they were significantly overweight um you know, and they still had a marked result in just two months or eight weeks. So, if you're following a so-called plant-based diet and you're not having um, results, you need to look at things a little bit more closely because um, either you're way overeating or you're, you know, getting into things that um, have a lot of hidden calories, and that's usually what it is—is is, you know, more calorically dense foods. Uh, people get in and they don't realize when things are smashed mashed potatoes uh refried beans uh, bean burritos uh tortilla shells those are all things that are mashed you know um more dense calories um per serving than say a cup of beans or um you know uh, maybe a sourdough piece of bread so um you know look at that and even sourdough bread you know obviously it's a it's flour that wheat berries have been um so it's it's more refined say than eating rice so but it's uh really been you know um driving these carnivore people uh keto people uh kind of crazy and they're trying to come up with all kinds of reasons why this was not a true study or not adequate or whatever and um They've even dropped down to name-calling, you know, putting uh, some well-known plant-based physicians, MDs, up online, um, you know, making fun of them being skinny, pasty white, and so forth. Um, But you can't hide the fact that these were normal people, uh, randomized to a controlled eating group, and, and they had success. So while this was a study of markers, obviously it was way too short to look to see if longevity is affected. It was only two months and everybody lived, which is good. Um, The question is, what are we really looking for in long-term studies or looking for when we're trying to define how we should eat, how we should exercise? And, you know, what I find is a lot of people don't realize how sick they are. Um, If they don't go to the doctor, um, they consider themselves healthy, um, so despite being on lots of medications, they might consider themselves healthy as a horse. I never get sick, um, but yet they're taking medications. Um, the question is functionality, you know, can they, can they move, um, you know, can they run, can they do certain things that are associated with longevity, and, you know, I'll even hold some of our um, extreme plant-based eaters to, you know, sometimes they don't look all that healthy, so I don't think it's a, you know, again, um, all plant-based nutrition only. Uh, it's nutrition and movement. So when we talk health and wellness, you know, there's longevity. So how long do people live? Um, but there's also, you know, absence of diseases. So absence of high blood pressure, absence of high cholesterol, absence of diabetes, and functionality, you know, mentally and physically. So can people move and do things Uh, despite uh, eating a certain way. Sometimes people just haven't been diagnosed with a disease yet. Maybe a radical plant-based person eating a bunch of supplements and walking all day long on a treadmill may have the absence of disease presently, but are they truly fit and are they truly well? I don't think that's really been put to the test, so to speak. Some people turn to testing to make sure that they're healthy uh, or a fear that they might become unwell or that something might not be right as they age. I think with social media uh, and reconstruction of sorts, we don't really understand what maybe a normal aging process is. Um, As far as, you know, if you look, Good on the outside does that mean you're functioning well on the inside should we be continuously turning over rocks to see if there's something going awry that we can't see or feel uh, most of that's never panned out um, with the absence of symptoms so if you don't have any symptoms of disease then looking just to look more often than not may identify something that leads to more tests and the ultimate outcome you don't Live longer uh, and perhaps don't live better because you're undergoing all these treatments for things that might not have caught up with you for such a long time. And there are very few tests that really will determine your uh, or decrease your mortality if you were to get these tests in the absence of symptoms. So, you know, sometimes I think we have to be really careful that we, you know, start testing everything and we're actually decreasing our quality of life by spending all of our time in doctor's office getting tests and perhaps getting a false sense of reassurance that everything is okay because they haven't found anything yet, but maybe they haven't, you know, um, there's certain things you can't see. 20% blockage can be 100% the next morning, so we know we can't pick up cardiovascular disease through a stress test early. Calcium scores may pick up cardiovascular disease, but do they ultimately translate into an improved mortality? If you act upon them, that's never been done. So we have to be really careful what we what rocks we turn over, and especially as we get older, uh, the more rocks we turn over may lead to things that actually cause us more harm. You know, I had a lady um, that, you know, has some abnormal testing, um, but acting on those tests in the absence of symptoms might ultimately cause more problems, such as dementia. We know that even a little bit of anesthesia, we call MAC anesthesia, conscious sedation, can cause um, an acceleration of dementia in some people that are early-onset demented. So, um, you know, doing a lot of testing that requires MAC anesthesia in older individuals uh, might not be in their their best – their benefit – and then there's the mind-body connection. If you're always worried, your sympathetic tone is increased, your autonomic nervous system is turned up, and you're actually making yourself sick by worrying and um, you know, not living, living your life, uh, maybe not exercising because you're afraid something's going to happen or you're too worried that something's, you know, all the time, so you're, you're, you're getting tests all the time. So mental attitude, on the other hand, people that don't get any tests or maybe even people that have a lot of comorbidities do better than other people because they have such a positive outlook that things are going to be okay. So um, mental health, mental positive outlook um, also plays a a role in overall health and wellness that we often, you know, that's often the last thing that we address Um, some Physicians are very quick to give people antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications or sleeping medications, but again, we're not dealing with the underlying cause of what's causing these problems. So we're really not doing anything to help the stress associated with them, uh, and the increased blood pressure and heart rate, and um, you know, negative negative hormones that are being produced because of all of those things. So um, I think you know, looking into things root causes both from a mental aspect and a physical aspect and trying to change those factors is much better than doing a bunch of tests for the most part i wonder if we were to do a survey of people's outlooks on things versus their health so you know are you someone that um is more of a throwaway and get a new one um Attitude towards things. So when something gets a little old uh, age on it, you uh, get a new one. Uh, you like shiny uh, rather than fix it up or figure out how things work. Leave it to somebody else to fix, perhaps. Um, first scratch after you know it's it's kind of ruined for you, so it doesn't really matter. So you don't take care of it anymore. Um, or are you a person that's always trying to figure out how things work and? Um, you know going a long way to fix things up and make them make them more functional maybe like antiques maybe like the craftsmanships or the artisan work things that aren't reproduce reproducible necessarily but are unique uh, because of the handcrafting. you know does that correlate with your health goals um, I don't know but I do know that a lot of people these days can't troubleshoot uh, when it comes to their health. And um, there's a set of panic. I think COVID was responsible largely for that um, because um, no one was taught uh, or intervention wasn't done to help people care for themselves or prevent illness. All the time, you know, we ha- we knew that people that were overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, had a worse outcome if they, if they got COVID early on, especially. But very few people and it changed any of those risk factors. Um, it was more of worry and hunker down, maybe get vaccinated or, but not, um, not change the underlying risk factors that may ultimately improve their immune function so that they could ride out a storm such as, as just COVID. That's one thing I like about endurance events is that you ultimately have to troubleshoot on the fly with what's going on. Um, If my legs are starting to feel heavy or crampy, a lot of times if I take in calories, it helps. If I'm going up a hill, uh, I might be better off, or if it's really hot, taking in liquid calories versus solid calories. It's something that you have to experiment with on how your body reacts to things. Does your blood pressure keep going up when you keep taking it? Uh, Does your blood pressure go up when you're nervous? Um, white coat hypertension uh, you know I was teasing a lady the other day in the office her blood pressure was elevated before I got in the room with my white coat my nurse didn't have a white coat but she said just the thought of taking her blood pressure makes her blood pressure goes, go up and then we start talking and it's like well a lot of stress makes her blood pressure goes, go up um, sometimes when people meditate or do yoga their blood pressure will come down most of the time after exercise people's blood pressure come down comes down um, because they actually have a decrease in their sympathetic tone so those are things to look at it's like okay let's address those to try to figure out how we can avoid uh, the blood pressure going up Um, life happens to everybody there are stressful situations but how do we best handle them Um, through breathing uh, through you know taking a step back and you know letting some time pass you know what is it worth is it road Is road rage worth getting upset and getting your blood pressure high when the person that caused you anger they don't even know it and you'll never know them and you'll never change them Uh, so how we react to others and other situations might drive our blood pressure ultimately yet we think and and you know it's white coat hypertension so there's nothing i can do about it so either ignore it and don't treat it, or maybe I treat it and I'm over-treating with medication. So, again, back to root causes of things, is much better. How do you troubleshoot your body? How do we figure out how to get around some of these things? If you have chronic indigestion, you know, it might be not necessarily need a pill, but it may be what actually am I eating? Is it only when I go out? If it's only when I eat um, certain things, and what are those certain things? You know, did I have oil? Did I have salt? Uh, was it, um, you know, was it overeating? So, learning to troubleshoot your own body can be very, very helpful at getting at the root causes of a lot of illnesses. There was a study done um, that looked at three blood pressure medications from the All-Hat trial. And the All-Hat stands for the Anti-Hypertensive and Lipid-Lowering Treatment Preventing Heart Attack trial, and they looked at three different blood pressure medications, actually started out with four. The first medication was chlorothalidone, which is a diuretic, somewhat like hydrochlorothiazide or HCTZ, if you know, know a diuretic by that name, an ACE inhibitor, the, this particular one was lisinopril, uh, and amlodipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, and doxazosin, uh, which was an alpha blocker. Interestingly, the doxazosin was stopped because increased cardiovascular events early into the trial. So only three of the medications went the 4.9 years. And then they went back and they looked at data 23 years later to see who was still alive, who had increased cardiovascular mortality, increased um, stroke, and so forth. So they ended up uh, with a study of 33,804 adults 55 years or older the average age was 67. To be entered in the study you had to have one risk factor either a previous heart attack, stroke, um, left ventricular hypertrophy or thickened heart muscle by echo, diabetes, smoker or low HDL or good cholesterol. And they ended up uh, following 22,754 for cardiovascular uh, morbidity and mortality. After 23 years, there was um, 23.7 per 100 cardiovascular uh, deaths in the diuretic group, 21 in amlodipine, 23 in ACE, no difference. Um, However, there was an increased risk or a decreased risk in uh, stroke and uh, death from a stroke in the diuretic versus um, the lisinopril group, and that was a bit of a shocker because ACE inhibitors or lisinopril is the medication that is most often prescribed to diabetics to prevent renal failure, and there was also an increased risk of death from renal failure. Um, with the um, lisinopril group group after 13 years. So remember that the age of the people in the study was 55 and up with a mean age of 67. The chances of the follow-up living 23 years was 26 percent across the board uh, if you look at all-cause mortality. So there were um, they started out with 15000 in the diuretic group and 3969 were alive by the end of the 23 years amlodipine group had 8898 uh, 2350 were alive at the end of the group, at the end of the observation and the lisinopril group similar 8904 2322 in the lisinopril group so you got basically a 26% chance of making it to 90 years of age if you have high blood pressure in one risk factor starting in your 60s. Those curves start to separate out at about 13 years. Taking medications to correct your blood pressure. That's not people that didn't take medications. These were also people taking antilipid uh, medications lipid lowering therapy as well so to me we're not doing a very good job with medications at making people live long longer with hypertension Um, with with the three classes of medication that we have available to us the only one left out was a beta blocker Um, and it's not been shown to really prolong uh, or increase survival over time either so once again we're left to look at the root causes of hypertension and kidney kidney disease, diabetes, we're much better off to look at the root causes and treat them as opposed to just assume that medications are going to um, be in our best interest. And, you know, it's amazing. I did most of my practice, traditional medicine, really looking at how to treat people with medications, not looking at the side effects of medication. Now I look more at the back end of what's happening on the other side of medication. If we lower somebody's blood pressure, six millimeters of mercury, what are we doing on the other side? And the more you look on the other side, the more things you typically find. If you have an elderly person and you decrease blood flow to their head because you're lowering their blood pressure and they're not perfusing their brain, they're more likely to have a stroke. So the further you get away from the heart, the smaller the blood vessels, the more damage you're more likely to have, the more you lower blood pressure in elderly individuals. But insurance companies are sending people home with monitors to monitor their blood pressure and monitor all these things, but we're really never attacking what the root cause of it is. And if we circle all the way back to that plant-based diet, we... Could be well on our way to fixing most of these problems. And while nutrition is extremely important as far as decreasing plaque formation, and again, I, I just want to make one little comment on that. Again, I see all these carnivore people saying that high blood pressure is not the or high cholesterol is not the cause of cardiovascular disease, uh, and the higher the better your cholesterol is, and saturated fat doesn't hurt you but obviously in a short study like that we know that you know things are going in the wrong direction when you just do an omnivore diet versus a plant-based diet the other thing is if cholesterol wasn't involved somehow then why is cholesterol in the plaque 100% of the time so we lay down you know cholesterol plaques we lay, we lay down inflammatory com- complexes and inflammatory proteins within the plaque in the, in the blood vessel itself, where there's smoke, there's fire. Was it the initiating factor or was it fallout? I don't know, but when it's not there, it seems to be much better. So we don't start out with cholesterol in our arteries. And if, if a high cholesterol was needed, then why are we putting it in our arteries? I don't think it acts in a vacuum as far as it alone. I think where there's smoke, there's fire, and there tends to be more inflammation. So when we're eating a meat and dairy-based diet, we tend to have a more acidic, inflammatory environment. When we're eating a lot of oils that uh, lead to more inflammatory compounds, we have a more inflammatory environment so that our blood vessels um, can become diseased quicker. You throw that on uh, increased sympathetic tone, and we have blood vessels that are squeezing down um, and forming plaques within within them and ultimately start to see vascular problems come along. The other part of the story is movement and exercise and the ability to utilize fuel, both fat and carbohydrate. And we need mitochondria to be able to do that, and as we age and lose muscle mass, we lose mitochondria, and we lose our ability to process energy and process, uh, you know, metabolic um, byproducts from the metabolism of protein, fat and carbohydrate, and we lose the ability to make energy. The only way to keep that from happening is to exercise end of the story that's the only way you can improve your mitochondria that's the only way you can restore some function is to exercise and we're learning more and more that there's 150 um, minutes a week of exercise just doesn't cut it that that's a number pulled out of the air that the american heart association said well it's better than nothing maybe people will do this the reality of it, people don't even do that but it's certainly not enough So while people are taking all kinds of supplements, worried about not getting essential antioxidants, minerals, nutrients, they're not exercising and their mitochondria are fading away and they can't metabolize things and ultimately uh, are ending up in the same boat. I met a 75-year-old runner last Saturday and he was clipping right along and he's run lots of 100-mile races um, and he eats really poorly, um, you know, um, doesn't eat a lot, not overweight, uh, but it eats, you know, a pretty processed diet for the most part, I think, because of his extreme endurance um, and his extreme activities that he's been doing that he's able to burn, you know, keep his mitochondria going and he's burning, he burns through a lot of the junk food that, that he's managing to eat. Nevertheless, it's, you know, things are starting to catch up a little bit. So, um, you know, I think that athletes can't operate in an an environment, too, thinking that, you know, nothing's ever going to catch them because they move enough to burn through all these things. Uh, The toxins, the byproducts eventually catch up with people and they, too, start to have disease we're coming up on the beginning of the new year where a lot of people will be getting an annual physical, and the annual physical usually is you know, a cursory exam by a doctor that puts a stethoscope, and if a doctor puts a stethoscope in the middle of your chest and that's all he or she puts it, then they don't know what they're listening for, and as far as I'm concerned, if they have a battery-operated stethoscope, they don't know what they're doing either. They might have people take a couple quick breaths, throw the stethoscope on the carotids, Maybe have people read an eye chart or look in their ears, um, you know, maybe, and then for the most part, run some blood tests, uh, perhaps do an echocardiogram, uh, maybe a chest x ray. Um, None of those things are really going to amount to anything as far as um, preventing significant disease in the upcoming year um, or predicting uh, disease in the upcoming year. Some of those tests may lead to more tests, um, which you may think that, oh, thank God they found it, um, but again, um, very few of those have translated into overall uh, survival benefit by finding something that people weren't symptomatic from. On the other hand, if someone were to come in, and I think this year we're going to start to incorporate more of that in our practice but can they do an observed push-up how many observed push-ups can they do can you stand on one leg can you stand on one leg and close your eyes can you walk three miles in less than 60 minutes can you stand to sit greater than 20 times can you get off the floor without using your hands can you get out of a chair without using your hands is your bmi normal glucose normal blood pressure normal off medications. Um, If you can't pass those few things, um, that's much more worrisome than a cursory exam and being able to see the eye chart. There's a lot of people that don't realize that they can't stand on one foot anymore. There's a lot of people that don't realize they can't get off the floor anymore. Most people start to avoid getting on the floor. People avoid steps. They go to single-floor houses or don't go down their steps or use a railing to pull themselves up with. And so there's a lot of people that I see cross my threshold that don't know when bad things started to happen, but certainly they're there now. Um, Or they ignore them and they work around them. So, um, you know, if you can't pass this test, perhaps you need to look for another doctor. Uh, or you need to look for us because we, um, we address these in our practice. And we will be opening up our members-only webpage to everybody uh, that wants to join a $25 a month uh, membership uh, very soon and that you'll have access to our mobility classes, movement classes, uh, and lectures and recipes. So if you have some interest in that or you'd like to gift that to someone that you know can't stand on one foot, Uh, Or that is a fall risk, we'd certainly like to hear from you. Um, You know, I ran across somebody the other day that their Apple Watch told it that they were a fall risk. And when you look at your Apple Watch, how many people are wearing an iWatch out there? There is an app that says whether or not you're a fall risk, and it's based on whether you can walk a certain speed and how your gait is and how much you stop and how much you waddle from side to side versus you know it has an accelerometer in so it can tell whether you're wobbling or going straight ahead so if you are that fall risk you know some of these watches have some pretty good metrics on them these days um it's not don't be worried about it how do we change it and we would love to help you change some of these things um and and give you the tools that you can can do it, but it doesn't involve a pill or a surgery or an injection. Uh, it requires um, people to move more uh, and to cook more of their own food, so to speak. It's not for everybody, um, but people that really want to be healthy, I think we know how to take them there. If you'd like to learn more about our practice, you can go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, um, and check it out. You can email me at jamie, J A M I, at drdelaney.com. Love to hear from you. We would love to help you get healthier in the new year. Thanks always for listening, and I'll be tuned in next week, so stay tuned.